The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. All right, welcome to an abbreviated edition of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. It is Christmas Eve, so we are going to give you a show, but it's going to be quick. As always, we are sponsored by JLD Hot Sauces and Knives. Guys, it's too late for Christmas, but it's not too late to give the person you love either hot sauce or they have uh, great knives for hunting and fishing and cooking. They have Boot boot Jolica. Uh, I know I'm pronouncing it wrong. Jolokia. Uh, they have Thai flavors. They have uh, the the ghost the ghost pepper madness. It's the shot in a one ounce bottle. It'll melt your face. Look, if you screwed up and you didn't get somebody for something for Christmas, get them a knife. Get them some hot sauce. They'll still love you. Go to JLDSharpSauce.com. Use the code SAINTS. Get 10% off today. Once again, that's JLDSharpSauce.com. All right, we only have Dave for 10 minutes. Dave, the Saints are 13 and fucking 2. I thought yesterday, and I say I'm not just saying this cuz the Saints won. I'd have probably said this if they had lost too. I think yesterday was the best football game of the year in the NFL. People wouldn't think it was better than maybe the Kansas City Rams game on Monday night when they both scored 50, but yesterday was a great freaking football game. Uh, it was back and forth. It was wild. What are your thoughts on the game uh, yesterday? And how much did you drink? Uh, I mean, you know, Andrew uh, texted me earlier today. He was at the game, too. And uh, I think he probably would have the same things to say as me as far as the atmosphere and the dome. Steelers fans always travel the best. They are, there are always lots of them in the dome for these games. There's always lots of terrible towels. It, it, it is always so large that, that you can actually hear it. You know, when, when the Steelers do something good or something goes the Steelers' way, you know, it's audible as far as hearing all of their fans uh, cheer. Um, uh, but, um, you know, it was a great game. It was just, like you said, it was back and forth. You know, to me, it was just kind of like whoever has the ball last is who's going to win is going to win the game. Um, that's kind of how I felt. Uh, even when the Saints were winning, I always kind of, you know, you know, in the fourth quarter, I always kind of felt that, um, you know, Pittsburgh was definitely going to score and the Saints were going to have to do something um, at the end of the game to win the game. Um, obviously, Drew Brees uh, led the team for a final score. And then Sheldon Rankins comes up with the big um uh, the big fumble, forced fumble. Um, you know, that, that, that's one of the things I'd like to say. You know, these fumbles, you know, I, I think uh, Underhill kind of mentioned it in one of his articles after the game yesterday or this morning or whatever. I mean, I mean, these aren't – the Saints aren't getting lucky, uh, you know, with these turnovers and with these fumbles. You know, they're not just, they're not just getting lucky at the end of the game like this. Like, they, this, this – Dennis Allen and the defense, I mean, they have been focusing on it just like in the – 2009 season with Greg Williams. I mean, the Saints got all those well, turnovers a fumble. because they were forcing, forcing a fumble is a skill. Recovering a fumble is luck. Absolutely, absolutely. But but the Saints have, have the ability and do a great job of 
getting the ball out and onto the ground and getting themselves, giving those themselves those chances. And, and it was a focus back in 2009 with Greg Williams, and I think that showed. And it was a focus. It's focused this year. You know, and, and like Lattimore said in a post-game interview, you know, they're not really getting the interceptions. 2009, we had a lot of interceptions. We had Darren Sharper, a lot of pick sixes. Uh, we're not getting so many interceptions. Um, but we are doing a, the Saints defense is doing a good job um, with the fumbles. Uh, the other thing I would say, PJ Williams, I thought quietly he has been playing very well the last few games. Obviously, yesterday I thought he played awesome. He came up with some big plays. Um, He's going to make a ton of money this offseason, and pe- <laughs> we're, we're going look. You can laugh all you want. Somebody is going to pay I'm him. It's true, I get it. Somebody's somebody is going to pay him twenty-five to thirty-five million dollars to be their third corner. Yeah, I feel like they you know, got out of P.J. Williams what they were paying Patrick Robinson to be this right. year. Right. <laughs> they did. I've, Andrew, I, I mentioned it on my Channel 4 uh, morning interview today as a, as a joke, but I felt like the, the, the thing that might be most impressive about yesterday is Pittsburgh clearly, when they got down 10, they had a desperation about their season that the Saints – they couldn't match it because the Saints, yeah, they're playing for home field, but you can't match a team that's playing for their playoff lives. You you can't match that desperation. I felt Pittsburgh was the more desperate. They they ratcheted up the intensity. Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown were fucking amazing, and yeah. it didn't matter. The Saints won anyway, and Pittsburgh, I thought, outcoached the Saints completely on offense they had a fantastic plan and it didn't matter and yeah the Saints got a bunch of breaks and whatever but to do that when you are playing the more desperate team and you got out coached and you won anyway like this Saints team it's the most complete team that I've ever seen yeah I mean I've heard a lot of Steelers fans basically blaming the refs on the game but I, I just rewatched the whole game because you know a lot of times when you watch it live in person it's just hard to get a feel for you know how the game goes versus you know, watching it on tape a second time. And, and uh, I mean, it's just different on a broadcast versus in person. You miss, you miss a lot of stuff in person. Um, but um, I, I just felt like besides the Camara pass on fourth and one, that, that was a phantom flag and, and ridiculous, and it shouldn't have been pass interference. But, you know, other than that, I mean, there were several calls that went the Steelers' way. I, I felt like this officiating crew in general – were kind Terrible. of flag heavy. They were flag happy with the, the interference stuff. Like if it was a questionable, or you know if there's a little bit of contact, they usually err on the side of throwing the flag, which I don't like personally. But I thought like the Michael Thomas on fourth and two, like the contact there was clear, and you know that that crew is definitely going to flag that play. They so had a couple I, pass, uh, plays on Eli Apple that were soft, too. Like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that that to me, that went both ways. I mean, the Camaro the one really hurts because that's like 40 yards down the field, and it was fourth and one where an incomplete pass. So that was maybe the most egregious, and I would give that to Steelers fans. But, um, you know, I, I think coming into this game, my big takeaway is that we, we needed to see the offense respond and play well, and I thought they did. I thought – despite the fact that they really struggled to run the football, and I thought the Steelers did a really good job of stopping the run. Um, you know, there's two drives in particular that really stood out to me, and uh, it's it's the drive where they get the field goal right before halftime, where Breeze just, you know, g- gets vertical down the field, makes plays. Um, and then it was the opening drive of the second half, where they go right down the field, and it was 17-14 at the time, and they go down, very impressive drive, get a touchdown, and boom, the Saints are up by 10 points, and they have control of the game. Now, 
the Steelers ended up coming back from that deficit. But I thought, you know, the Saints scored 31 points. Not only now they did get some penalties, which were helped, but let's not forget there was also an interception thrown in the end zone, which was a terrible pass. And that could have been a scoring drive. And there was a blocked field goal. So, you know, they don't make those two mistakes and made 31 becomes 41. So I thought the offense was back on track and it was really good to see them, even with all these injuries on the offensive line, get back to form. Dave, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Ted Ginn is the secret sauce to the Saints offense. <laughs> it was nice I to mean, have him back, yeah. He was Big. He was big. He had five catches, the huge one on third and 20. Like, he's a really important cog. We've been, and we've been joking about it the last three weeks. But, like, the jokes are funny because it's true. Like, he's a, he's a big cog in this. But also, am I crazy to think that Kamara finally looked like Kamara after a month of not being his normal self? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, he, he, you know, he had two touchdowns, uh, you know, over a hundred yards, all purpose, uh, rushing and receiving. Um, yeah, the last few weeks it did, just did look like he was kind of taking it off, you know, taking off. He just, he, he hasn't been his elusive self, you know, hasn't been, you know, there was one play last week or the week before where he had a guy one-on-one in open space and, and, and he got tackled and that's normally you know, that's normally the times where Kamara is going to win those matchups and he's going to beat that guy or he's going to jump over him or do something totally crazy and Kamara-like. And, and, and we haven't really seen, you know, seen a lot of those splash plays, those exciting plays. Um, so it was nice uh, to see him, uh, you know, in his back to a little bit more of his old form. Uh, but I still don't know if he's if he's been as amazing as he was earlier this season, those first four weeks when Mark Ingram was gone. Um the other play I liked, uh, Drew Brees, when his pass gets batted up and could possibly have been intercepted, and Drew Brees Third literally, best corner on the team. literally <laughs> cut, cut through like a knife through the offensive line and jumped up and batted that down. I thought that was uh, that was a real heads-up play that I, probably a lot of people aren't necessarily talking about. I thought that was an awesome play. Um, and uh, oh, there was somebody else. Oh, but yeah, I mean, Ted Ginn, you know, going back to the original question. Yeah. I mean, what was it? Kirkwood who dropped a short pass? Yes. I mean, I mean, that that right there, that 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 has been the problem with the young guys. I mean, it's not I don't think it's that they're not getting open uh, or that they're not good enough or not fast enough, not getting enough separation. It's just that these last two, three, four weeks or whatever, they have just not been reliable. They have not been catching the, mm-hmm. the balls that they should be catching uh, jump balls, whatever wide open passes like this. Uh, and I, you know, it's, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Ted Ginn is is the shorthanded receiver that, <laughs> that this offense needs. Well, you know, so it's interesting. Uh, I'm glad you asked about this, Ralph. I, I agree, Dave. And I think the thing that really, I I don't know that I appreciated when Ginn was playing versus when he was gone, which was stark and crystal clear to me watching the game on replay just now, and but also during the game, but just watching it on replay, he is so wide open on numerous plays and the reason he's so open is teams are scared to death of his speed they respect it and when you're going up against Kirkwood or Traquan Smith these corners will press and they're not afraid of of their speed so they don't really respect them and, and they'll jam them at the line of scrimmage and I think those receivers are young so 
they probably haven't had the time in the weight room to develop their strength to kind of play against jam corners and, and figure out how to get open. But like with Ted Ginn, like he would just get cushions where if he wasn't running a deep route, he could just cut off his route and run a 12 yard out and he would just be wide open and there wouldn't be yeah. a corner within five yards of him. And, and again, I just think people respect his, his speed and they fear him. And so here's the thing about Ted Ginn, and you're totally right. Like teams are petrified of it, Andrew, but I think they're even more petrified of it happening in the dome versus the Saints because if the Saints hit you with a 70-yard bomb in your own stadium, that's one thing. They hit you for it in the dome in a playoff game, in a huge game. Like the roof comes off the, sto- the Superdome. They play get crunk, and it just switches everything around. So coaches go into it, and it's even worse – it's they're even more desperate for it to, to not happen. Whereas in other games, they might be a little bit more like, "Hey, we'll do a little risky things on defense." Ted Ginn is like at the top of the list. He cannot beat us deep, and I think it's it's partially the fear of just it. It just it's like uh, it's like nitroglycerin or free booze for the Saints fans. Yeah, I don't think it's an accident that. Michael Thomas had his first big game over a hundred yards in a few weeks. And I, I think it has to do also with the way the alignment defensively. I mean, the safety over the top is playing much further back. Um, yeah. They don't want to get beat over the top. And I think that's another Ted Ginn factor where, you know, they, they, he stretches the field, you know, mm-hmm. the defenses just play the saints offense differently when yeah. Ted Ginn is on the field and it allowed Michael Thomas to, create some matchups underneath uh, that I think normally maybe he, he gets a little tighter coverage. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, it, it, it's just, the thing is the saints, their, their wide receiver core is sort of like a basketball five, right? They're not all the same. It's like Michael Thomas is the big, the number one guy, but he's more of a possession guy and he does his thing. And then you have Ted Gannon, you had Trey Quinn Smith, and that's how they were when they had 2009 to 2011, right? You had Colson was sort of the number one guy, but you had Graham, and then you had Devery Henderson who was the deep threat and could block, and you had Meacham who could, you know, they had all these guys that could do certain things, Lance Moore, and that's kind of what they don't have with this group, right? They have Thomas, and they have Ginn as the deep threat. And the other guys, eh, not so great. But, I mean, I just look yeah, at this. Camara is the second best receiver on this team. Yeah. I mean, yeah. here's here's another question that I have. And Ingram, Ingram might be the third best. Is. <laughs> or fourth four best. <laughs> it might be. And, you know, the thing is, you know, and we and we get into the nitpicking and all that, and we'll get to that in a second, the, the questions that we have. By the way, people are emailing me. You would think the third. They watched Seattle last night, and you would think the Saints are the worst thirteen and two team in the history of football. They're like petrified of Seattle because they just beat a bad Kansas City defense at home, and they're like, "Oh my God, Seattle's going to come in. They're going to beat us." But like this team is so. They are so deep and so good at every position. They have overcome losing losing Patrick Robinson. They've overcome a ton of, of offensive line injuries, and this team. To me, it's the most complete team. I mean, I don't necessarily think they have the big playability on the Saints that the 2009 team, because that was just like magical. The turnover spigot just lasted from from the first game of the season to the end. And, you know, that's something that's like just happens. You can't really duplicate it. Um, But they've overcome so much. And the thing is, 
I look at them and they've accomplished everything that they want to. And look, you said it, I think, on the podcast or on Twitter, like the, the playoffs are a crapshoot, right? Ask the 17, ask the 18 and 0 Patriots in 2007, man. A dude caught a fucking ball off his head and yep. they didn't win a Super Bowl, right? But these are the kind of games you're going to get, though. Like you no. watch this Steelers game, that's a playoff team. They played a very good team with an elite quarterback. And, I mean, I don't care how you feel about Ben Roethlisberger. I, I think Kim Jordan's wrong. I, I think Ben Roethlisberger absolutely is a top-five quarterback in the league in this era and, and currently. Uh, I mean, he, he's a very, very good quarterback. He's better than Eli Manning, I think. And, you know, he, he, he played an incredible game. Uh, he's got incredible receivers in Juju Smith-Schuster and, and um, Antonio Brown and I, I just Their tight ends are nice too. Would, McDonald is nice. Yeah. Jesse James. They, they have a they have a really really good group. Yeah, and and their offensive line is good. And I, I just thought, listen, this team is much better than the eight eight six and one that they are. They've kind of had some crazy things happen to them this year. The the tie they should have never they, tied they, Cleveland. They they last year I think they were twelve and four and they were like six and one in one score games and it sort of turned against them this year. Where yeah. I think I think they're either two and five or or one and six. Uh, in one score games, like all their losses are one score losses, and that's just how it goes, right? It just it just evens out. Um, but they're yeah. re- they're but this they're is this, re- this, like, this is as tough this this is as tough in my opinion. Like they won't face a playoff game that's less tough uh, than than this game. I, I think in the playoffs, like that's what we should expect. It's going to be oh. games like that. Well, so, I would say. Yeah, you know, they may they may face a team that's worse offensively and better defensively. But my point here is like that. That's the kind of game they're going to be in the Saints. Um, you know, th- different teams might have better strengths and worse weaknesses yeah. or whatever. But if they can beat if they can win a game like that against a team like that in the dome, to me, that's a good sign like that because th- that's the kind of game that they're going to have to face in the playoffs and. It may get a little harder. It's it may not it may not be easier. But I guess my whole point with this is, if you look at this game, and they're able to win like that, these are the kind of games they're going to have to win in the playoffs. So they well, they're battle tested. Well, here's the, here's the thing: if the Saints are fortunate, to me, the best case scenario for the Saints in the playoffs is the first game is a blowout because they catch a team that fought their guts out opening wildcard weekend, maybe it went to overtime, right? So the Saints get a blowout that first week. But I would bet a paycheck that the NFC Championship game, whether it's Chicago, whether it's the Rams, whether it's whoever, it's going to be exactly like that Steeler game was yesterday. It's going to be back and forth, and it's going to come down to like three or four plays. And you just better, you just better like get ready for it. Because you look at the NFL, when was the last time – Andrew, any team that went to the Super Bowl waltzed to the Super Bowl and had two games that were blowouts. I, I mean, Atlanta in 2016, I think they beat Seattle by like seven or ten the first game, and they crushed Green Bay in the championship. But like, that's the only one. Like most of the even Pitts, even New England last year, man, they 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 barely beat Jacksonville at home. You know? Exactly. Uh, I think every playoff game is a crapshoot. And look, these teams are playing for a Super Bowl. So they're going to give it everything they have. And if if you are under this mistaken illusion that, like, the Saints should be winning every game 40-7, to seven, like, sorry, it, it, it's not going to go that way. 
I guess, I guess they're not the 14 and two team that you expect to have, but um, yeah, all these games are going to be hard. Yeah, I, I, I think we should just be glad they're going to be in new Orleans. Yeah. And I think too, another thing that was underrated yesterday and, and I, First off, I'm glad that the Saints won and Will Lutz got the field goal blocked because now I don't have to hear the announcer saying that he's made 25 in a row, 20, you know, like he got the record and now he can restart another streak. I just, I, yeah. that, it may, may, that, that melt, that'll make me cringe in a playoff game if he, if he was kicking a 34 yard field goal to win and they're like, he's made 34 in a row. I'd be like shitting my pants. So I'm yeah. secretly glad that's over. But that aside, the Saints special teams are by far the best special teams they've ever had under Sean Payton, and it won them the game yesterday because they stuffed the Patriot. I mean, they stuffed they stuffed the Steelers on that fourth down punt, which you can argue whether Tomlin should or should not have gone for it. The Saints stopped it barely. Um, Thomas Morrison had back to back awesome punts. Yeah, the, the Steelers ended up going 97 yards. It didn't it didn't work out, but. He's a he's the best punter in football. That was, I think, that was one of my favorite moments of the game where he gets it inside the ten, I think about the eight yard line. And so Tomlin makes it punt it over again and then he just goes <laughs> and punt punts it to the three instead. I mean yeah. that was just incredible. Yeah, and I mean look, give the Steelers credit. Ben Rothford, they drove down and did it. But I'm telling you, if the Saints are in a playoff game and they're up fourteen to seven and he drops it down at the two yard line and Mitch Trubisky's gotta go fucking ninety eight yards. I'll take you know I'll take my chances if the Saints are in a playoff yeah. game and you're like hey Thomas Moore said he punts it down there Mitch Trubisky's got to go 98 you got to keep Mitch Trubisky from going 90 90 plus yards or you get to the Super Bowl like I'll take my chances every time and yeah special teams man especially uh, I in, just in, I just don't think you know listen he that when you consider the teams that the Saints could play in this first round matchup Russell Wilson doesn't have nearly the weapons that. Roethlisberger has so yes Russell Wilson does scare me but I just don't think he's going to be able to expose the secondary like Ben Roethlisberger was because he doesn't have the weapons and Kansas City's defense is Kansas City's defense is fucking terrible their pass rush is very very good everything else on their defense is fucking awful yeah and so you're you're saying that Russell Wilson and how he looked in that game is not what you should expect to see in New Orleans and then, you know, the other two guys, like the Dallas offense or the Chicago offense in the Superdome, I'm sorry, but I just don't think they're going to – the Dak Prescott and, and Trubisky are not going to deal with this crowd noise and, and the this Bears, defense Trubisky went very well. 20, Trubisky went 25 of 29 against the 49ers, and the Bears scored 14 points, and they had no turnovers. Like, their offense is an issue for them, especially on the road. And I'm going to tell you another thing. People don't realize this. The the corner for Kansas City, uh, I get him confused because he has a similar name to the Bears corner, Kyle Fuller. He might even be his brother. It, they're, Kansas City's best corner, he was out because he had a hurt wrist. I'm telling you, and people – on this podcast, we'll, we'll, they will spit out whatever they're drinking right now, their eggnog spiked with something special. Or you're going to laugh at me, Andrew. But I'm telling you, today, the way Kansas City's defense is, Patrick, uh, P.J. Williams would be the best corner on Kansas City's team. Yeah, like, and that because, I agree. Because of injuries and all this. Like, their secondary is fucking atrocious. And I know you got scared because of Seattle, but – they played on Monday night. I watched them play Minnesota's defense. He had 74 yards passing, you know? Yep. 
So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying that you don't worry about the playoffs because playoffs are a crapshoot. But to get all this angst about all these teams, I mean, shit, the Saints are 13-2. Now it comes to the not fun stuff, Andrew. Uh, I like uh, documentaries. I love all these documentaries, Ken Burns stuff, and I'm re-watching the v- Vietnam War one. And I bring that up because the guy who ran the, the United States Vietnam War strategy, West, General Westmoreland, he had this crazy theory that, like, if we can just kill enough North Vietnamese, we'll kill so many of them that there will come a crossover point where they won't be able to replace the troops they have, and we'll win. And, granted, it was a dumb theory, whatever, that's Vietnam. But my, my I like that theory because I, I want to push it to the Saints offensive line. What is the crossover point for the Saints offensive line where they have so many injuries that it becomes not good enough to get them to a Super Bowl? Well, I think they've reached their breaking point in tackle. Um, you know, I think they can probably get away with Andres Pete at left tackle or and by, by the way, Andres Pete, he played a couple snaps at right tackle uh, until Ramchek came back in the game. So kudos to him. He, he played three different positions <laughs> along the offensive line. I mean, he, he's become the Senio Calamete of the team. But, uh, you know, I think they can maybe get away with Bushrod at left tackle in the playoffs. Maybe get away with Andres Pete at left tackle in the playoffs. But if, if they have another tackle injury, um, you know, another – I mean, hopefully Armstead will be back, although – clearly you could see as that game wore on like he was playing with one arm um i i I tend to think like armstead's done i think he has a torn pec and i mean he may try in two weeks to give it a go and i fully expect that he he won't be able to finish a game so i'm i'm kind of reluctantly i mean i'm hoping for the best of course but reluctantly kind of assuming the saints are not going to have armstead for any kind of length of stretch in the playoffs so i i that leaves us with Bushrod and, and Pete, you know, kind of as, as the two other guys that can fill in at left tackle. If something happens to both of them, it, it's or, or to Ramchick, you know, if, you know, basically if they're down any more tackles, then I, I just don't think. Yeah, and they lost the where, other. What was the other offensive lineman that they lost that went on IR? Michael Ola. Yeah. Ola. Yeah. So and here, look. Sean Payton's playing coy today. He's like, well, I don't know what we're going to do. They're all going to rest. <laughs> this, this nonsense of, of, you know, they might play to win. Come on. But here's my question. You only got 53 men, 53 dudes on that roster. Yeah. You can't rest all five guys on the offensive line. How does he – how can he rest as many guys as, as he can, Andrew? But you still got to run plays on offense, right? What, what do you think they're going to do? Yeah, I mean, I wonder if you maybe cut – some guys that uh you know that they've got a lot of receivers on this team you know and and i just wonder if if you cut a guy like austin carr um, who really hasn't done anything for you uh, the last several weeks and uh you pick up a new offensive lineman off the street and you start him you know i mean that that that's those are going to be the kind of tough decisions they face this week um because just practice just practice squad dude be like hey practice squad guy you're on the roster yeah, you, and you're you wanna, starting. Yeah. Play your play your butt yeah, off. But, this but, is your chance to get that, get you some good tape. But that's the question. Like, do you cut a guy like Tommy Lee Lewis or Austin Carr or um, you know, some of these special teams guys that are important to the team, you know, like uh Washington, you know, or Robinson, you know, some of these or Beagle, the, the linebacker, you know, some of these guys, like they're kind of core special teams guys. I don't really want to cut them. Um and, and so that's gonna be you're, you're basically going to have to make the, the decision, like, do I play Unger or Warford kind of banged up in this game, 
or do I cut a guy like Austin Carr and start a guy off the street just so that they don't have to play? I that would say is, the latter. That's the biggest challenge. That's the biggest challenge of the 53-man roster. I would, say, I, mean, I would say you do it. I would say you cut – you can – you can, they can cut a couple guys. I mean, the Saints roster, is, I think it's deep, and I think it's the best roster in the NFL. But let's not kid ourselves. They could cut Austin Carr. They could cut the running back Washington and if they needed to and sign a couple dudes and rest everybody on the offensive line. And if yeah. somebody wants to claim Austin Carr, I mean, I guess they could have more – You live with yeah. Ride receiver, but like if somebody would claim Washington at running back, like like if they need Washington to carry the ball in the playoffs, they're fucked. Like, right? You know, like I don't know what else to tell you. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So they 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 know, they'd run taste. They'd give the ball to Taysom Hill before they'd give the ball to him. I mean, honestly, if I'm the Saints, like I don't want Demario Davis playing. I don't want Cam Jordan playing. I don't want Rankins playing. Yeah. I don't want Michael Thomas playing. I don't want it. I don't want Kamara playing. You know, all those guys we just mentioned on the offensive line. I, ideally, I'd want five new starters. That's not going to be possible. Um, so you're going to kind of have to pick and choose who plays. But yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, obviously, I expect to see Teddy Bridgewater, and I'm kind of excited about that. Um, I'm not going to lie. I know uh, Heineke, the backup for um, Heineken, whatever his name is, the backup <laughs> for Cam Newton. I know he's injured and he's having an MRI on his elbow. So if he can't go, Carolina may have to start a quarterback off the street. Um, Allen, I kind of, I, I kind of want to sweep them, a, again, and b, I, I kind of want Bridgewater to have a great performance. And fourteen and two would be the best all-time Saints yeah. team in in history of the franchise. Because they've gone thirteen and three before, but never fourteen and two. So I kind of want to. Bridgewater to have a great game and win this. Um, obviously, I don't want to risk important players, but I, I think this is a game the Saints could win, even with some of their B talent. Yeah, and I mean, the thing I wish the NFL would do, they'd never do it because they care about the competitiveness and all, but I almost wish like the last like two weeks of the year or three weeks of the year, they would just let teams expand the roster because bad – Good teams want to rest, and bad teams want to get a look at dudes. You know, like yeah. like I'm Buffalo. Like, what's like? Wouldn't it benefit them to pull up a couple of dudes off the practice squad and rotate dudes in and out, like in the third and fourth quarter of an actual NFL game? You, you, because you're you're st- next week for most teams that aren't in the playoffs. It's it's beginning of next year. You're looking at guys. Um, you know, but some teams want to win, like Cleveland. They want to have a winning record and stuff. But I just think that would be the way to go. Um. The other thing with this this is this team, man. The Pittsburgh, to me, they gave the declarative statement that not only teams do teams respect the Saints' run defense, they fear it. Pittsburgh went into the game was like, nah, brah, no, no running. Like, they didn't even really – I mean, they had a couple of runs, but they didn't even attempt that shit, Andrew. Yeah, I think at one point it was 39 passes and 12 runs. Um, do you – I don't think – I don't think that would be in the playoffs because I think the Bears and Seattle would – and Dallas, they're, those teams are so run heavy, I don't think they would attempt to uh, – to throw in the same, but do you do you see a team? Do you see teams being well? That's more why. That's why I know like people are shitting their pants. But again, like that, I I just love those matchups. I love that Dallas, Seattle, and Chicago are all run first teams. I just mm-hmm. I think off 
at least offensively, they do not match up well against the Saints. Yeah. I mean, if you if you take out the Steelers' longest run of 16 yards, they ran 17 times for 49 yards. Yeah. I mean... Yeah. I, and, and I don't even really count, like, the runs they hit there because they're out of the shotgun and the Saints are spread out, you know? So it's not, mm-hmm. it, it's not even like... You know, they, they maybe caught the Saints off guard by running on second and 10 with like a shotgun inside draw type of play, you know, mm-hmm. and that that's not like your your typical north and south like I formation, mm-hmm. you know, first and 10 run where, you know, the defense is playing it and expecting it. So, you know, you might you might get a quarterback scramble or you might get a, a run like that where maybe you hit it for for a gain. But like no one can run on the Saints like honest straight up. Yeah, I mean, and look, uh, they're set up really. I mean, they're they're set up fantastically for the playoffs. I mean, and look, you you can't you're not going to have 100 percent health. You know, we we hate that it's the offensive line, but you ne- no team in the NFL. I don't care the winning teams or whoever. No team goes through a whole season and doesn't have to deal with injuries somewhere. You know, if it was an offensive yeah, line, I mean, that, if it that, was that, an offensive line for the Saints, I mean, it'd be corner. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt that the Saints could lose any of these games. I mean, I think as fans, we all need to be glad that they're in New Orleans. Uh, I think we all need to be glad that it's been a fantastic season and that, you know, we've seen a lot of great moments during the season from the offense, the defense and special teams. You know, there's no hole on this on this team that is so bad that you have no confidence in it. I have confidence in all three phases and you, you everyone that listens to this should, too. So, yeah. like, I, the, the main thing, I think, is in, in, now they can certainly lose, and anything can happen. And, and if, if the question is asked, what is the biggest worry, what is the biggest concern I have, it's definitely the offensive line. Because as you look at these teams, you know, Seattle's good defensively. Dallas and, and Chicago are exceptional defensively. You really – it's hard – points are going to be hard to come by against those defenses. And you really have to play your best football to make sure you score on them. Now, that's why you want to be at home in the Dome against a team like that. But, um, you know, it just becomes much more difficult when you don't have a healthy Armstead and Ramchick is compromised. And, you know, Warford's not moving too well because he's got a bum knee. And, you know, those things kind of add up. So, uh, you know, again, kind of going back to your original question, the offensive line is definitely a concern. And I, I just really have to hope that these three weeks off are going to be enough for the Saints to uh, to recover and, and feel healthy going into this playoff game. I mean, I think it will because I, I, I just think, like, to me, and you, you mentioned it, you had great seats yesterday. You said Warford looked like he was just dying. I, I just think, like, guys like Warford and Ramchek, like, the three weeks they'll get, will just be amazing for them because they're just they're just bodies are just so. shot and you just need to they just need to not play football and yeah three weeks will do that for them um you know before we get to the uh the prediction for the game uh you know i want to oh i want to mention again everybody look uh JLD, we're sponsored by JLD Hot Sauce and Knives. They've been an amazing sponsor this football season, guys. They have the best hot sauce. They're award-winning sauce. Uh, Andrew, you should pronounce it for the people. Boot Jalokia. Boot Jalokia comes in hot, 
extra hot, my personal favorite, and Thai flavors. Go to JLDSharpSauce.com and use the code SAINT to get 10% off your order today. That's JLDSharpSauce.com. Um, you know, uh, the thing is, you look at this, you look at the Saints offensive line, you look at what they've accomplished and, and, and what they are or, or, or aren't by, with Armstead. Um, you look at the, the other things on offense. I just look, and this is what gives me the most confidence in playoffs is, you know, yes, they lost to Minnesota. Yes, they lost to San Francisco in 2011. But the thing is, Drew Brees was getting the shit kicked out of him. Against San Francisco for a quarter and a half, they had him rattled. Uh, against Minnesota, the Saints didn't have a fucking point at halftime. And Drew Brees still figured it out and was good. And they granted, they, they, they lost those games. But my point is, like, I don't go into a playoff game and, granted, any, you say anything is possible. The Saints could lose. I don't see Drew Brees in a playoff game going 12 or 25 for three picks. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. Whereas Trubisky, um, you know, the the... Nick Foles, even though he's been Super Bowl MVP, he was dreadful in the first Atlanta playoff game last year. And, um, you know, Dak Prescott, like, they could all suck it up in a playoff game. Yeah. And I think. Yeah, they could all turn into a pumpkin. Yep. Yeah, I don't think. Breeze may struggle and have a bad game, but it won't be an atrocious game. And the Saints have proven that they can they can pick it up uh, and carry him and get and get the win. Um all right, we don't really have. I mean, a line. The, the Saints have the Saints have played like three opponents in a row that were way more desperate to win than they were, and they yeah. still won. And yeah. I, you know, again, we, we talk about good teams find different ways to win. Well, this week the defense, you know, the secondary just didn't play well, and they were beat. They were beat by Antonio Brown. You know, kind of separate, unrelated. Lattimore to me is just not the same player he was last year. I'm going to go ahead and put that out there. I think if I'm a team right now and I'm looking at tape of the Saints. I'm not seeing a huge difference between Lattimore and Eli Apple. You know, I think they're both playing pretty good. Neither of them is a lockdown corner. Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting to see in the playoffs if Marshawn Lattimer sees more balls come his way. And, and if he does, you know, this is going to be his opportunity to step up, and maybe remind the league of who he is yeah. and why he won, you know, rookie defensive player of the year last year. Because Antonio Brown, especially in the second half, kind of had his way with him. Yeah, I mean, Antonio Brown, the catch he made that didn't count for the touchdown was just, he, he's just fucking ridiculous. He he might be, I, I don't know if you argue that who, who the best receiver is, but on the that dude is fun to watch scale, I think Antonio Brown's like on a different level. Because oh, he's, Julio, he's, he's, he's probably the best receiver in the league, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, but um, but but you know you, you know, uh, and and he embarrasses a lot of corners. So you know you give Lattimore maybe a little bit of a pass there. But um, I, I do think you know kind of a lot of the talk is maybe he's maybe Lattimore's gotten a little complacent, and I, I don't think he's had a great year. I think he's had a good year. Um, but as these playoffs come up, you know he's going to be if the Saints play the Cowboys, it'll be him against Amari Cooper. You know, or if we play the Vikings, it's going to be. Him going up against, um, you know, Stephon Diggs and Thielen. So he's going to get a chance, I think, in the playoffs um, to, to kind of step up and, and play at a higher level, and he's going to need to. Um, but but at the end of the day, you know, again, go kind of just going back to I think as fans, 
we needed to be reminded of how special Drew Brees is and what, what he can do and, and what he needs to do in these playoffs to be successful. And I think if you look again at especially those two drives, uh, the first was to get the field goal yeah. before halftime. Then the second half drive, they march all the way down, and Brees was phenomenal on that drive. Um, and then on third and 20, I mean, the throw to Ted Ginn. Now, I know he was wide open, but um, – that was a ball he had to push down the field. You know, there was another throw to the sideline where Ginn doesn't come up with it and ends up incomplete. But Drew Brees gets flushed out of the pocket. He throws on the dead run. And Ginn kind of slides toward the sideline and tries to make the catch and drops it. Uh, it was a tough catch to make, but that was an incredible ball again by Brees. So in this game, I saw him push the ball down the field in a way that maybe we haven't seen in a couple weeks. And again, I think sometimes when you're not on the road, there's no crowd noise and, and you take away the elements of cold weather, rain, wind, whatever, precipitation. Uh, that makes Breeze's life a little bit easier. And I thought he was throwing the ball really well. Here's a question. Look, um, we can get into the playoffs matches of, of, you know, we'll do we'll do that over the next two weeks. You know what? The, 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 and, and this is one of the great things about the bye. When you have the bye in the playoffs, the first week of the playoffs, the wild card weekend, is just the best because you're you can sitting wa- you home. Watch te- you're watching teams beat each other up. Yeah. Maybe. And if it's a team like Seattle, that's the other thing. They've got to travel across country. Like, yeah. think about Seattle just from a scheduling and perspective, like, of, of just humans having to deal with this. Where And I know they're professionals, and I know they, they, they're used to this, but – you know, you're talking about now the 18th, 19th week of the season, and Seattle would have to fly. Where where is Seattle going to go? I guess Dallas. they're going to go to Dallas. So they're going to have to fly all the way to Dallas, then probably come all the way back home, and then fly out again to come to New Orleans. And you know, they may yeah. just stay out there for a week. I mean, I don't know what their plan would be, but I'm just saying that's that's significant for a team just in terms of throwing off their schedule. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the Saints are. are coming every day into the training room, getting treatment, getting worked on. They don't have to go anywhere. They're, they stay in New Orleans the whole time. Uh, they don't have to go. They're, they're in New Orleans for the, until the Super Bowl. And, yeah. you know, so, so, you know, and they've been in New Orleans for the last two, for these past two weeks. So I, I just think there's an advantage there just in terms of tra- transit, travel time, being used to the facilities, getting in a routine. I mean, may, and again, it doesn't promise you anything, but it gives you major advantages. Yeah, and I mean, look, they could, well, I don't think the play. I think the playoffs, they really try to do it. But, you know, maybe they could even be like Dallas uh, played on, you know, Dallas and Seattle play on a Sunday and the winner has to come to New Orleans and the, and the game is Saturday night. So maybe they even get right. a shorter, you know. Um, right. But my question was going to be to you, not to me pick who you want to play, but... They have a lot of combinations in the NFC, you know. Um, everything is kind of set as far as one, two, three. Well, Chicago. I mean, I guess, I guess the Rams could, in theory, lose to San Francisco, and the Bears could win, and the Rams could drop to three. But as happen. far as five and six, as far as number six, who do you want in, and who do you want out between Philadelphia and Minnesota? Are those the only two that have a shot at this point? Yeah. Uh. You know, the the whole Foles thing is cute right now, and I know that they they're, they're kind of believing again, and, and they have a second win. But 
Uh, to me, Minnesota is more scary. Um, I, I just think offensively, when yeah. you look at Diggs and Thielen and Cousins is still capable of getting hot. Um, you know, they've got a more sound running game, a better offensive line, and, and mostly just they're, they're just a more complete team. Defensively, they actually have good players. Philadelphia is just so killed by injuries. Um, and we saw that when the Saints played them. Um, to me, I would much prefer to have to face Philadelphia, uh, even though they're Super Bowl champs and they're riding mm-hmm. some momentum. Um, I, I just think that's a much easier matchup for the Saints than the Vikings are. So you would want you would want Minnesota out. Yes. So I wonder what Chicago is going to do because Chicago is one game behind the Rams, and they could say, "Hey, we'll play our starters, and if the Rams lose, we can be the two seed." Um, do we do that or do we just take the three seed? But if they take the three seed and they rest, they play Minnesota. So they'd play Minnesota again the next week, most likely. Right. So if they, if they, if they rest and they give Minnesota a bye, they play Minnesota again. Do they want to do that? Like, or do you want to, or are they like, Hey, let's play. I think think Chicago has got to play because, you know, they, they can't, let the Rams think that they're tanking. You know, they, they've got to keep that pressure on the Rams to let them know, hey, you got to take care of your business because we're, we're going to take this game seriously. And also, I just think they have an opportunity to knock the Vikings out of the playoffs, and that's a rivalry game. And they, they don't want to face Minnesota again. If they can take care of them now and knock them out, I think they would rather play Philadelphia in the playoffs. Yeah. So I think, I think Chicago has to take this game seriously. Philadelphia, Chicago, Dallas, Seattle would be fantastic first round games. It'd be really, I agree. It'd, it'd be really, it'd be really fun watching. So, all right, the Saints—they don't have a line in this game in Vegas, but I'm gonna say when they announce Bridgewater the starter, that the Saints are gonna be a—it'll it, end up being a three-point. It'll be end up being a three-point game because Vegas will be like everyone's resting, and even though the Carol, Carolina they may be playing Heineken at quarterback or Allen, whoever, we're just going to set it at three. Go. So, what do you think is going to happen in this game, Andrew? I think it'll be a pick'em game. Um, pick I think yes, yeah, because I think they'll say, well, we we would favor Carolina by three on a neutral field, so we'll make it, you know, kind of a uh, pick'em game. Um, but we'll see. We'll. See see what the line comes out as you know i i still I, bridgewater will play pretty well and i think he'll be motivated to show great tape yeah. because you know, he's playing for a 20 million in a year contract in this game you know much like matt flynn got that one game he played against uh i think it was i can't remember who he played against i think it was the seattle it's right the lions the Lions. Oh, the Lions. Yeah, yeah. But but he tore it up, and that game, that one game, got him sixty million dollars over the course of his, his career. And I I, I think Carolina is just ready to go on vacation. Yeah. Especially with the backup quarterback, they looked they looked awful against the Falcons. Um. So I I still feel pretty good i mean i think maybe 20 to 17 maybe low scoring but bridgewater makes a couple nice throws gets a couple touchdowns and and i think the saints win 20 to 17 here's here's the thing with bridgewater too he's not this he's not this in the same boat as matt flynn and matt flynn he had one good game and it was all hey he might be very good as a quarterback it was all 
the contract was all speculation, right? With him, you were buying low or whatever and, and getting, you know, Seattle did it, but they had Russell Wilson, so they, they started him. The thing is with Bridgewater, if Bridgewater came out and was like 19 of 28 for 220 and two touchdowns and no picks, like he automatically goes to $20 million because then teams look at him and is like, oh, he's healthy. He already he's has a history of, of going to the playoffs yeah. and being on a winning team. So the question is, oh. And, and he just spent a year learning from Breeze. Yeah. So they're like, oh, he's healthy. He spent a year with Breeze. Uh, and we have a track record that we know when he's healthy, he's good. I think the Giants would be all over him. Um, so he's going to be really motivated, and it's going to be really fun. He's been dancing after the games. I would like to see him dance during the game. So I'm going to say Saints 31, Carolina 7. Let's just wrap this motherfucker season up on with a bow. Huh, Andrew? Let's just, you know, let's just humiliate Carolina with Teddy Bridgewater and just make it make it the perfect season. There's a chance right? that Bridgewater is going to be a more attractive. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I, there's a chance that Bridgewater – if he has a huge game, that he may be more sought after than Nick Foles. This off. Oh, totally. Because he's young. Because because he's because he's younger, and Nick Foles is sort of trick or treat. So, all right. So that wraps it up uh, for today, the Christmas Eve episode. Thanks for Dave giving us 15 minutes. Uh, thanks to Andrew. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. Thanks for supporting the show. Uh, thanks to all the patrons. We love all you guys. Uh, we'll see you next week. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.